Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. In this episode, you'll hear from Leilani Ramirez. She's a senior dialogue coordinator at Sony, and you'll learn about what she does and how her job fits into the development of a game. First, though, you'll hear from Josh Barron. He was on in April last year to talk about his ethereal string project, which included orchestral covers of video game music. His new project, The Travelers, features tavern-type covers of game tunes, as if you're wandering through taverns in Europe or the East, and I really like this record. My role is basically, um, I came up with the idea and I shot it to Masha Lapierre. She's my co-producer. I just came up with the concept of the Travelers being a group that travels from tavern to tavern in this kind of story I created for this group. And they just pick up people on the way. So people of different cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds, whatever walk of life, and that play an instrument, bring their culture into this. It's not necessarily restricted to Europe, but Mm -hmm. we kind of are looking at other styles like from the East. Okay. When I did a Thereal String project, you know, I didn't want to necessarily stick with orchestral music. I Mm -hmm. wanted to learn new styles. And before this project, I had zero experience with folk music. Mm -hmm. And Masha has like a lot of experience with it. She actually plays in a Scandinavian band in Seattle. Neat. And I brought on Ian Martin, who plays like a lot of the instruments on the project. I mean, if you go through the credits, Mm -hmm. um, you'll see his name on everything. (laughs) (laughs) But I brought like a lot of people together from Materia Collective, and it was an extension of my idea to try to help different organizations around the world. And that's what we really want to do ultimately, is try to help make the world a better place. want to try to get people aware of like where cultural music started sort of like the Silk Road Ensemble with Yo-Yo Ma because I was really inspired by what they're doing and I kind of want the travelers to be like that for the people who aren't familiar with that Yo-Yo Ma project uh, go ahead and talk a little bit about that Yo-Yo Ma's Silk Road Ensemble is kind of the same thing he brings people from different cultures all on the idea that the group is like the Silk Road, it travels through all of Asia. And um, and so it was a connection to Asia and the West. Because of that ensemble, they wanted to raise awareness of different instruments, different cultures. So tell me about some of the instruments you did bring in. We brought in like 
Irish whistle, which Ian plays. Um, we brought in small pipes, which Ian also plays. <laughs> and uh, we brought in guitar. We brought in violin, viola, cello. Um, I brought in the guys from Ethereal String to be the viola and cello, and then sometimes bass and violin, depending. Mm-hmm. And then we also brought in a mandolin, uh, the Irish hand drum called Bowron. It's mainly our main percussion instrument in the whole group. Okay. We even have bones, which Ian also plays. <laughs> and um, he kind of just clacks those together and adds like a nice little jumpiness to a piece like he did in Twilight Street. did all the arrangements, right? Not all of them. I did six tracks, um, and Ian did six. And then I believe Jordan Chin did one. He did the very first track of the album. then we had Joe Chen, who's an amazing viola player. He did Cave of Dran in Spanish. Then we have Ashley Lynn Watts, who arranged the only vocal piece on the album. Gather round, my children, let me tell you of a tale most grieving of knights and thieves and evil queens and ships that sail the sky. What were some of your favorite tracks? It's really hard to narrow it down. Sure. (laughs) I feel like they're all really nice. I really like Ashley's piece because it f- it's just the only vocal one. Yeah. I love the tale she tells between Freya and her and her love interest Sir Fratley from the game um, of Final Fantasy IX and so she talks about how he you know he goes through amnesia and she went all the way across the world to find him only to find out he doesn't remember who she is. Mm. It's a very sorrowful tune and I like um, that Ian kind of just put in the guitar part into it and it was just nice. Was passing through the grand streets of Windbloom when whom should I see but Zidane, my old friend? And then Jordan's track is like the most is one of my favorites too. So mm-hmm. I really think that we we came up with a very solid set of of things. And um, usually with projects on this scale, uh, you run into people who want to do the same track, but we actually when everybody submitted their pieces. None of them were the same.
I really enjoy the record. I think you did really nice work. And uh, why don't you tell us where people can find it? Um, you can find it. We're mainly trying to get people to buy it from Bandcamp. But we do have it available on iTunes. And we're having some other outlets sell it eventually. We're just waiting for the distribution to clear. So basically right now you can only get on Bandcamp and iTunes. And you can stream it on Spotify as well. So... And also, if you want to check my workout specifically, I actually have a concert string orchestra work going to the Iowa City Community String Orchestra in Iowa. So it's an original work commissioned. So um, if anybody wants to check it out, it's on April 30th. Um, you can find it on their website as well. Josh, you just have such wonderful things going on. I'm really excited for you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much for, for this new record and for you know talking to us about it. Yeah, I, I hope to be on here again. It's always a pleasure. You can learn more about Josh Barron and find links to all his projects at patreon.com level. Leilani Ramirez schooled me in the art of localization and dialogue coordination in games. I learned so much from talking with her. She's a senior dialogue coordinator for Sony, and prior to her arrival there, she worked on the Medal of Honor series for EA, Uncharted 3 for Naughty Dog, and many, many more. I currently am at Sony Interactive, and I'm a senior dialogue coordinator. So that really encapsulates a wide berth of responsibilities. So I came in as a sound designer in the industry, and I just kind of fell into dialogue in general. So the position of a senior dialogue coordinator is somebody kind of like equivalent to like a dialogue supervisor within the film realm. But... In terms of like film and TV realm, you kind of only specifically like deal with one facet of a thing. Whereas my position, you kind of put all of that together and then some, which also includes localization. So we coordinate with game teams, specifically with writers, creative directors, level designers, and we kind of take it from the hands of the writers and collaborate with the casting agents or the casting directors to help with casting of the talent. And then we, from there, we kind of move on to organizing recording sessions as well as uh, motion capture sessions. And that involves from scheduling and booking to handling the scripts to being in the recording sessions and on the mocap stages and kind of making sure things sound good. All the dialogue that is is captured is properly captured from a technical side as well as a creative side. And then from there, once we get it from the recording studio or the mocap stages, we take all of that source and we work with you know, then we go ahead and edit. And sometimes, many times we master and we collaborate too with our lead sound designers to make sure that they're properly integrated into the game. So using like game engines like or third party software like Wise or FMOD or the game team's own IP, 
And then we integrate that within our game engines. And one of my favorite parts of the job is collaborating with the game teams or really your, your audio leads and deciding how things should be integrated and how things are going to sound and from a dialogue standpoint within the game, like helping to create systems, how those systems will work so that when a player does an X action, how what lines are going to be fired, how are things going to be fired. Once things are integrated into the game, we assist with some of the mixing of it and seeing how they all it will sit within the overall mix. And then from there, after all of that is kind of laid down and the groundwork is there, we then collaborate with our localization teams and many of the the big developers will have like their own localization like departments in, in a way. And so we would then, you know, work with them to be able to get all of our English assets to the territories. And we have to determine how many languages are going to get localized. So one of the hardest jobs for us is because many of the games that we develop are simultaneously shipped. So that means that anytime the, the US version or the English version or whatever you know, develop, the developer is sending out, all the other languages are also being sent the same day. So sure. the deadlines make it much more difficult. The usual languages we refer to as efigs, which is basically English, French, Italian, German, and Spanish. Okay. Those are usually like, you know that's going to be localized into audio, that those territories, they're going to have their talent, you know, in their territories record actual audio to replace the English. Cool. And then it's gone beyond that. Like we've, many games that I've worked on had, you know, a maximum of 15 languages, 15, 20 languages. So it's, it, but not all of those languages would be audio. Some of them right. would be text. So like, for instance, uh, the Japanese would probably have audio. They would replace their the audio. But maybe simplified uh, Chinese wouldn't. It would just be text. You know, many people that you've probably spoken to with and that work in audio and games were always last. So, right. you know, our crunches can be pretty brutal and localization deadlines are usually the ones that kind of really ping the dialogue people. Depending on how it works for, for each team, mm -hmm. we'll have to onboard, you know, more people to help us do with editing or we'll have to make sure that the territories all the assets and they're editing things right and they're mastering things right or sometimes we've worked on game teams where they the territories were sent back their material to us and then we would have to master all of their material and integrate them into the game i mean it's just it's so fascinating to me so uh how many games would you say you're working on in a given year are you working on multiple games at a time yourself or are you stuck on on one project because of crunch and things like that um it depends uh, my position here at sony i've worked on like probably three four games simultaneously um mm. but in terms of big AAA games, right now I'm focused on one. 
So okay. it varies, but sometimes, you know, we have to help out other teams. In my past, I've usually just worked on one like major AAA game. So, and I'm the only dialogue person on that team, on, on that game. But okay. as a freelancer, yeah, I definitely worked on multiple games in a given year, but probably the most was probably like three, four. Obviously, mm-hmm. if it's a small game, then I'll be like, okay, sure. But I certainly wouldn't take on like two AAA games within a year. So <laughs> that would just be <laughs> <way> too much. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about some of the games you have worked on. So I first started out um, at EA with, in terms of my game career. So mm-hmm. I worked at EA Los Angeles, which is now known as Dice LA. And mm-hmm. I worked on Medal of Honor. So my very first game was Medal of Honor Breakthrough, which was an expansion pack to Medal of Honor Allied Assault. So, okay. And from there, in my career at EA, I was there for about seven years. I worked on, I think, about five or six Medal of Honors. And I worked on a couple Command & Conquer games. Mm -hmm. And I also worked on a game called Tiberium, which actually didn't make it, didn't actually get published or uh, developed. Mm -hmm. From there, um, after my career at EA, I uh, started to freelance. And in 2000, I think probably 2011, I went over to Naughty Dog, And I was the dialogue supervisor for Uncharted 3. After I did that game, I went back to EA as a contractor and did one other, one one of the last, I think the last uh, Medal of Honor that they've done so far. So, and then from there, I freelanced, continued my freelance career and I worked with some former colleagues uh, for the VR title uh, Adrift. Mm-hmm. And then I started to collaborate with Sony on a freelance basis. That was probably October, October, November of 2014 that I started to collaborate with Sony. Mm-hmm. And from there, I've just stayed. So <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a permanent full-time, a full-time employee here at Sony as their senior, one of their senior dialogue coordinators. So I'm curious, you know, if a game comes out on January 1st, right, which never happens, but let's just for the ease of the example, if a game comes out on January 1st, when in that process are you going to more or less have to be finished? Is it September, October? Is it June, July? I mean, when uh, when is your crunch in that in that process? And I guess you said it varies, but, uh, you know, just ballpark it if you could. Yeah, so for a AAA game, if a game is going to get released during that time, mm-hmm. we would more than likely have to be done. Um, let's say if it is January 1st, then we would more than likely have to be done closer to, like, the beginning of October. <sighs> And it depends on how much dialogue is in a game, right? So games like Uncharted, they're heavy with narrative. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of dialogue that has to be handled. And with Naughty Dog, it's a very organic development. So those deadlines definitely always shift. And so, Hmm. you know, and it was very different for me when I was at EA because they were very strict on their deadlines. So... 
you know, the crunch was there, but it certainly wasn't as bad. It just depends on the number of lines that are needed. So sure. I've worked on a game with as little as 5,000 lines. So, you know, super simple. And mm-hmm. I've worked on games that are as big as, you know, almost 40,000 lines. <laughs> a lot. But ideally, if a game were to come out in January 1st, Yes, you'd like to hope that your everything, all your assets that are coming back from your territories and everything is done by October 1st. But that means wow. your English assets have to be done by a certain time, right? So yep. if localization is to get their deadline done by October 1st, your assets should be, you know, at the latest provided to the game to your territories by ideally like in june holy cow can like get their stuff done and like translated recorded and then sent back to us to do whatever is necessary and then get it in so it's a very (laughs) wow it can be a very rigorous schedule yeah you had mentioned that one of your favorite parts is working with you know, the writers and and folks like that and level designers and things to figure out what's going to fire when a when a player does a certain choice. And I'm, I want you to talk more about that because, you know, as gamers, that's one of our favorite things is to be able to have those choices and things like that. So talk a little bit more about that process. Yeah. Um, so I definitely get the chance to really do a lot of that too with, with my career at EA at Medal of Honor. So that was really cool so like you depending on your game engines you know working on either proprietary software or or unreal you got the chance to kind of do some research on playing other games and studying basically how other games would fire stuff out how to make it smart how to make the gameplay and the characters more intuitive, especially the mm-hmm. AI characters more intuitive. So, like some of the basic things that you already know are going to be fired is how they have cinematics. If a game's going to have cinematics, you kind of already have an understanding and established system of how they're going to get triggered. The ones that have always been a great challenge is trying to decide how to make AI characters sound smart. Especially if you have a, a companion character that's traveling with you, or even enemy AI that's being uh, that they have lines that end up firing when you take an action upon them. Yeah. So we would work with those designers and say, okay, this would be really cool if these banks of lines would play during this encounter or this action. When I have that opportunity, that is actually a very cool aspect of the job that you don't normally, many people don't normally see or assume a sound designer does. So right. foremost, even though I specialize in dialogue, we're also sound designers. So we we help in collaborating, making them the environments that you hear sound really cool. And you did say you started as a sound designer. So how did you get into that? Is that something you always wanted to do? No, actually, I wanted to be a recording engineer for, in the music industry. <sighs> During high school, I uh, was starting when I was looking to go to college. 
my ethnicity is is Filipino and Chinese and Spanish. So I grew up in a very a household that creativity was there, but it wasn't something that you would take on as a as a profession. You know, at first I wanted to be a doctor, and then I came across. Um, I I won't deny I was a big Janet Jackson fan, so I was like, oh, <laughs> I want to like try and like. I knew I couldn't sing. I was like, but just kind of cool. I liked I liked science. I liked kind of tech stuff. And I saw on the recording albums, on the albums, looking the, on the back of the album or on the CD covers, and I saw a recording engineer. I was like, oh, what's that? You know, one of the things aside from a doctor, I was like, oh, maybe I, may, I could be an engineer. And I saw a recording engineer. I was like, oh, that would be really cool. <laughs> so I looked it up. And I was like, oh, I could actually, like, get, try and get a job doing this stuff. So I started researching, like, how schools that, you know, had programs, mm-hmm. you know, I applied. I went to Loyola Marymount University. I wasn't sure because growing up in Hawaii, you don't really have those. I didn't grow up here in L.A., so I had to kind of branch out and find my own research of how to get in to the <sighs> industry. I got into Loyola Marymount, and they had a really good recording arts program. And my dad, I recall my dad saying, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not sure if you're going to ever make money, but good luck. Because <laughs> 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 um, he was completely puzzled as to why I would choose such a career. Hmm. But I did it, and I don't regret I certainly don't regret my decision. There's definitely tough times that I, I've had. And, you know, when I interned, I did a lot of in- internships. So I did intern at a few recording studios and music recording studios. And it mm-hmm. just, once I got into it, I was like, mm, I don't know if this is really my cup of tea. And then I expanded. I went into, got into a couple I actually interned at Sony Pictures there within their post-production department. And that's when I kind of like was discovering like this would be really cool to be in. And I kind of just fell into games. A friend of mine that I worked with said, hey, there's a position I saw at EA. I'm like, oh, okay, that would be really cool. And he's like, you know, EA? And I'm like, yeah, they make uh, video games. And he's like, yeah, wouldn't that be cool? And I'm like, yeah. So I just tossed his resume and then I got the job. So it's been almost 13, 14 years. Wow. So I can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that the AAA you're working on right now is under NDA. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes and no. S- um, but <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's play it safe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but maybe, you know, whenever that comes out or is out of NDA, uh, you know, maybe we could talk about having you back on to talk about that because yeah. uh, I'm just fascinated by it all. I learned so much today and uh, it'd, be, it'd be great to have you back on. Absolutely. I'd be, I'd be happy to come back on. So thanks great. for having me. Leilani, it was a pleasure. <laughs> great uh, talking with you too, Emily. You can learn more about Leilani Ramirez at patreon.com slash level. Thanks for listening to episode 59 of Level with Emily Reese. 
If you'd like to help us out financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash level. And we appreciate your support. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Level with Emily. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc. Learn more at june-media.com and June is J-O-O-N.